Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We're in Torah portion number 14 uh, today, January 17, 2021, and uh, uh, I'm glad that uh, you're here, and you might be listening on CD or on uh, the website podcast, but however you're getting this, may it bless you and uh, help you take another step forward in faith. Amen? Amen. So, uh, <clears throat> it's just another one of those Holy Ghost coincidences uh, that today's Torah study uh, is from the book of Exodus, and it coincides, Exodus 6 through 9, it coincides with the commemoration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and who was one of America's great citizens and great visionary leaders. And we'll uh, see more about that in uh, the main service with Pastor Larry. Uh, uh, But uh, as you know, Exodus tells the story of the physical and spiritual birth of Israel as a nation. And it's a beautiful picture a perfect picture of God's plan for redemption, not only in the past, but uh, as many uh, biblical scholars and Jewish scholars especially teach, that what you see in the book of Exodus and God's amazing grace, all that salvation and deliverance of Israel coming out of Egypt uh, parallels the final redemption. And so uh, there's a lot to learn about God's plan of redemption. Uh, And uh, as we look at uh, this teaching, uh, we need to understand that before Israel experienced that epic breakthrough and the blessing of God that followed coming out of Egypt, they had to go through a brutal exile. And it was not only in Egypt, but it was in that it was at the hands of a very authoritarian, totalitarian ruler known as Pharaoh. And Moses describes this picture of Jewish history uh, as an iron furnace. You can read that for yourself in Deuteronomy 4:20. It says the Lord took us out. Uh, and brought us out of the iron furnace. And so this was the exile. Uh, But God had a plan of redemption, amen. And just like he had a plan of redemption for Israel, he has a plan of redemption for you and I personally and individually. And that redemption that people are seeking even today comes in a couple different parts and it's hidden in the meaning of the name of Egypt and the name of Pharaoh. Uh, And it shows us the scope 
of what we have to overcome as believers when we're working out our salvation. Okay? If we're going to receive the promises of God, we also have to understand there is an enemy going around seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't care that you know the name of Jesus. And so he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And we need to understand the wiles of the devil. It's the spirit of Pharaoh. It's the spirit of Egypt. And uh, it's good to be in a church that recognizes there is spiritual warfare. That Ephesians 6 is true. And it's just as Ephesians 6 is true, we have the weapons of our warfare that are mighty through God for the pulling down of every demonic stronghold. So the good news is, even though we're in a fight, it's a good fight and we win because we follow the principles of God. So Israel was in a fight and... They were in a fight against both Egypt and Pharaoh. And the name Egypt is not just the name of the country, but at its core it means confined, constrained, and restricted. Egypt. Confined, restrained, and restricted. The name Pharaoh isn't just the name of the ruler of Egypt. At its core, the name Pharaoh means undisciplined, wild, and unrestrained. So this is how Israel was enslaved. They, They were enslaved both to Egypt and to Pharaoh. And there's two different kinds of slavery going on here, physical and spiritual. Egypt enslaved uh, the Israelites physically with limits and restrictions to their freedoms. It, Like the frog in the kettle, the freedoms that they had under Joseph eventually eroded. And over time, over a couple hundred years, suddenly what... Uh, What they had under Joseph disappeared, and all of a sudden, it switched to heavy taxation. uh, uh, Egypt confiscated their wealth. You might say that they redistributed the wealth from all that Israel was doing to prosper and putting it in the hands of the secular humanists in Egypt. But uh, not only was it heavy taxation, it evolved into harsh labor and harsh economic policies. And then the ruthless taskmasters came on the scene. And it finally progressed into a Hitler-type final solution where they, you know, just incredibly, amazingly, uh, horrifically, uh, Pharaoh commanded to kill all the male babies. And that's what launched us into the story of Moses, who was drawn out of the Nile. We know that. But on the, uh, the other side, here's Pharaoh, who uh, in his world promoted an undisciplined, wild, and unrestrained moral lifestyle. 
and he enslaved the Jews by forcing them to live in a culture of unrestrained immorality. Pharaoh considered himself a god, and so whatever he felt was law. Whatever he felt could be easily imposed on the populace, on the citizens. And so he developed the practice uh, in moral terms uh, that anything goes. And believe me, when, uh, when people are left to their own imagination on what anything goes means, uh, we understand that like in the days of Noah, there was unrestrained, wild, and undisciplined, immoral living that caused the flood. <clears throat> and it was in this environment that God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, and he gave him a message that you're going to be my representative, my ambassador, my I'm going to send you as a deliverer. And that was part of God's plan to redeem the people from their enemies. Uh, A lot of it was amazing grace. People say there was no grace in the Old Testament. Well, you'd probably miss the book of Exodus uh, because there was nothing that uh, that Israel could do to be set free from Egypt and from Pharaoh. It was impossible. And, uh, and so God sent his amazing grace and his deliverer. But it also included the, the real thing, and we'll probably get into this next week, the real thing that uh, uh, helped Israel's cause for redemption and for freedom was a covenant commitment to offer the Passover sacrifice. That was their command. And uh, it was that moment that caused the freedom, that triggered the freedom. But it wasn't just that moment. God took them on a journey to Mount Sinai, and they had to pledge their allegiance not only to the Lamb and the blood of the Lamb, but 50 days later to the Word of God. And so uh, these are things that still apply to you and I today. When we look at people that are struggling, well, I went to the altar, I prayed, I called on the name, but I'm struggling. Well, normally what you need to do is go back to the foundations. If you're struggling, it doesn't necessarily mean you're out of the will of God. It might mean you're fighting powers and principalities that are trying to do what Michael Corleone said. I tried to get out, but they keep trying to pull me back in. That's the devil. He's... uh, full of all of that chicanery and all of that viciousness, all of the lies, all that that we know. But uh, not only that, people just failed to, to expand their commitment beyond the altar call. Well, I said a prayer, what more do you want? I want your whole life. It's no longer you that liveth at the altar call. Now it's Christ that liveth in you. And so we can go on and on with that, but you get the gist of that. But it's all relevant to you and I today because the Spirit is always willing, 
But it's the flesh that is so weak. And if we're not careful, if we're not prayerful, our mind will begin to justify and rationalize the craziest immoral behavior. And in America today, we're seeing that. We're justifying the most insane. Let's uh, not have law and order. You know, let's uh, kick out the police. And uh, on and on and on. Uh, So this is the worldly, secular system of Egypt, of Pharaoh, trying to control us and get us to abandon our foundations, our roots as a nation, as one nation under God. And uh, and so there are parallels to Israel's story of coming out of Egypt and Dr. King, who we commemorate tomorrow officially, uh, of leading the African-American people and to a great extent our society and our culture here in America out of the bondage, the persecution, the discrimination, and the oppression and the racism that was uh, still in America. America to a large extent in the pre-civil rights era. Moses stood against anti-Semitism. Dr. King stood against racial discrimination. Yep, amen. And both had to face overwhelming odds. They had to face the harassment, the threats of death, the persecution, and even genocide. Uh, genocide is the deliberate and systematic destruction of any ethnic, racial, or religious group. And uh, uh, we've seen Dr. King stand against that, but uh, we're still fighting that battle, aren't we? But we're still fighting the battle of Moses. 3,400 plus years later, we're still fighting the spirit of anti-Semitism. And so some people, what, well, how come we don't have the utopia? <laughs> well, because as we've explained, there's a devil. And he is going to resist equality. He's going to resist fairness. He's going to resist moral and biblical values that come from God. And he's uh, getting people to uh, represent him at the highest levels of government, at the highest levels of our education system, our economic system, our media system, and on and on and on. Uh, and uh, as we've all heard the saying, all that requires for evil to triumph is for good men and women to do nothing. At the very least, we need to bind the powers of darkness and release the anointing of God over our city, state, and nation. And there's many other things that we can do, as Dr. King did. He held nonviolent protests. He was sent like Moses as a deliverer of sorts to lead people into a better life out of a horrific life of bondage and oppression. And what Dr. King accomplished in the same way that Moses accomplished things, the same way that Jesus accomplished things, uh, was nothing short of a miracle. Amen. And how many of you know 
uh, that freedom and liberty and equal justice and equal opportunity and so much more aren't just the promises that are in America's founding documents. They're, they're promises God gave in the Bible. That's why we're one nation under God. It'll be interesting to see what develops over the next four years and how the government and how these power centers treat Christianity moving forward with the principles of freedom and free speech and the right to travel and the right to assemble, the right to speak your mind. Will the government protect us and our uh, inalienable rights that are in the founding documents or or will they mass calls for unity to make sure that you're silenced, your church is silenced, your Bible is silenced, and the name of Jesus would not be mentioned or it would be equated with hate speech? This will be an interest. And we're already seeing uh, just in days, in weeks, censorship, a change. And it's based on categorizing people and putting people into groups of haves and have-nots, of good versus bad, good versus evil. And uh, these are things that the, the Bible fights against, Dr. King fought against. And so good Christian people need to support and promote and uphold the idea of religious liberty. The idea of racial equality and the idea that there's just one cross for all colors. Can we agree on that? Amen. There's one cross for all nations. There's not a different gospel uh, for different racial groups. And uh, so Dr. King's nonviolent call for unity, justice, and equality is built on Bible principles. That's why we shouldn't forget he was a preacher. He and his father uh, pastored the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, Dr. King drew a lot of his life experience and what he felt called to do uh, to Moses leading the people coming, let my people go. And uh, it, it was in 1963 uh, on the Washington Mall at the, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial that Dr. King delivered one of the most famous and most quoted speeches in uh, American history. Uh, That was the I have a dream speech. Moses had a dream. Jesus had a dream. God has a dream. Dr. King, and it all comes out or originates out of the Bible. And uh, he took his stand against racism. He had a dream of a post-racial society. And he said it just perfectly. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. 
Who can argue with that? Well, now there's people that are. (laughs) People that don't like Dr. King's biblically-based vision and his uh, call for racial unity. Now, all of a sudden, in America, we've departed from Dr. In fact, I don't even know if they're teaching Dr. King to this generation, this next generation anymore. Because of his background as a preacher, his love for Israel, his love for the Bible, and his desire... To be colorblind. He wanted a colorblind society. And all of a sudden now, we're lashing out against uh, white privilege. We're lashing out against uh, this group and that group. And we need to uh, uh, reset. They're talking about the Great Reset now. Uh, The Great Reset really needs to be, let's get back to Dr. King's vision. One of the parts of his speech that, uh, as I was reading it, that I just got so uh, moved by was when he said, in a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. And it's obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. And then he went on and uh, connected all of that to the founding documents, the Declaration, Inalienable Rights, the Bill of Rights, and the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, all of which trumpeted something that you and I value as American citizens. No matter what color we are, we want to enjoy and experience the promises of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So government, don't get more involved with how that plays out. Be less involved. But Dr. King said, back in that famous speech, instead of honoring this sacred obligation, he considered that a sacred obligation. And we don't need presidents and Congress and judges and media and uh, social media trying to restrict all of that with their uh, totalitarian attitudes. Because it's a sacred obligation. It says Amer- it's a sacred, sacred obligation America has given the Negro people a bad check. A check which has come back marked insufficient funds, he said. But we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. Hallelujah. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check. A check that will give us, upon demand, the riches of freedom and the security of justice. Hallelujah. So, Dr. King was at the forefront of the civil rights movement. And what he accomplished was so impacting and so uh, powerful that a, a year later in 1964, he was awarded as the youngest recipient ever the Nobel Peace Prize. Come on. His courageous leadership against all odds. In the nonviolent, it was a nonviolent, of course there was violence happening, 
but his role was peaceful and nonviolent struggle for equality, for desegregation, for labor rights, for the minority uh, groups, for civil rights. And it's, it's one of uh, uh, America's great moments on how we evolve from that. Now, the Jews have been uh, uh, faced with anti-Semitism for almost 3,500 years. The struggle in the black community to have equality and justice and uh, equal opportunity and desegregation, all these different things, it's been a, a struggle for a couple hundred years. We've come a certain way. But just as coming out of Egypt wasn't the end all, there was much more to do. And through Israel's history, they struggled off and on because they struggled with, will they be one nation under God? Israel was the original one nation under God. And America is struggling to process divine principles and biblical values and make sure that they are applied equally among all races and all backgrounds. So, in other words, we still got work to do. In the same way Christians still have work to do in preaching the gospel, America still has work to do in seeing uh, Dr. King's vision come true. So should that mean that we start throwing, let, let's as Christians start throwing Molotov cocktails at abortion clinic? No! That's not how we handle it. We handle it through prayer. We handle it peacefully through nonviolence. We register our protests. We vote for people that will support our values and so on and so forth. Uh, so uh, the struggle continues in many ways. And uh, if you think you're the only one struggling, <laughs> you're not. So, this is the underreported, but uh, Dr. King not only loved the Lord, yeah, he had his faults. Let's not cancel him because of his faults. Do you cancel Oscar Schindler because he was a womanizer? Well, you know, let's compartmentalize that. Yeah, he had his faults. I don't know if anybody yet has walked on water except Jesus Christ, the sinless, blameless Lamb of God. So we all have our faults. Uh, and, uh, but what Schindler accomplished, what Dr. King accomplished, can't be discredited because in another area of their life they fell short. Have you fallen short of the glory of God? We've all sinned. So pointing the finger at someone else's sin, uh, acting like you're sanctimonious and self-righteous and perfect, uh-uh, that, that's, uh, that's uh, wrong, wrong, wrong. But Dr. King not only loved the Lord, he loved Israel and the Jewish people. And this goes underreported. And I, I just wonder if this is the reason we're seeing modern-day politicians not invoking the name of Dr. King and the dream he had for a colorblind society because he stood for Israel. Listen to one of his quotes. Peace for Israel means security. 
And we must stand with all our might to protect her right to exist. And then it goes on from there, just for the sake of time, uh, we'll move on. But uh, in many ways, Dr. King saw his life's work echoing the call God gave to Moses. And uh, the night before he was murdered in Memphis, and the the night he gave his final speech, uh, this is what he said. He said, I don't know what will happen now, but I've been to the mountaintop, he said comparing himself to Moses at Mount Nebo. He said, like anybody, I would like to live a long life, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people, we're going to get. To the promised land. Thank God for Moses. Thank God for Dr. King and their ability to see beyond the suffering and to see beyond the struggle, to get beyond the injustices and to see life with a sense of hope, with a sense of purpose and a sense of faith. And uh, I pray that all of us share in that vision. It's a good vision. It's a godly vision. And let us be determined with a sense of purpose and a sense of destiny that in the church, which is a big part of what we can control, what happens between Christian people and how we feel about equality. There is no more Jew or Greek. There is no more male or female. There is no more slave or free, but we are all one under Christ. And that doesn't mean that, you know, uh, we reject our nationality or our gender or what have you, but it just means that the higher purpose is we're united as one body. No matter what state or nation or background or ethnic group we come from, in Christ we are one in the Spirit. Amen? So, as we head towards the, the, the finish line here, let's not let Dr. King's dream be canceled and replaced. Just in the past year, it seems like we're going backwards in how we handle things. And we're, some are trying to, even though they act so noble, try to return us to a pre-civil rights mentality. Uh, Dr. King's dream is regardless of your skin color. I'm not going to define you by your skin color, Let's sit down together, he said, at the table of brotherhood and meet our promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all. So whatever we're seeing in today's political and social climate, trying to divide us and separate us and turn us against each other based on our skin color, we've got to pray against that and be a voice against that as best we can. Amen? And uh, uh, and so, uh, as we close today, this is what uh, King advocated for, unity and equality. 
And he actually said this. He said, do not satisfy the thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. Amen. So you can't accomplish good by acting out in hate and bitterness and revenge. Dr. King taught us to live with hope for a better world. Amen. And work towards a colorblind society that was based on character and integrity. He had a vision that we needed to treat all people with respect and dignity. No matter where you came from, no matter what your political belief is. We need to all come together, especially in the church, with a moral sense of equal justice. And look to pray and and build a society where all of us are working together in unity and harmony. Amen? This is what God promoted at Mount Sinai 3,500 years ago. And so, uh, we got a, just another minute. The Bible says that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. How many of us know today that freedom isn't free? Everything that Dr. King fought for, that Moses fought for, that Jesus came for, uh, is uh, not free. It was bought with a price. And there are spiritual and political and social and military costs in order for us to live in freedom. And fighting to obtain freedom and all the rights and, and uh, values that come with it is much harder to achieve than it is to lose. President Reagan said freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. And within the church, we can't afford to lose the passion and conviction of our nation being one nation under God. We should all have a dream to stand up for Bible values. We should all have a dream to raise up our families, our children with a a love and an honor and a respect for the things of God, to teach them the full gospel. If we don't teach them, someone else will. And what we're seeing right now is that what we've been granted can be easily lost. So our spiritual dream is similar to Dr. King's. It's rooted in Scripture. And uh, we pray and believe that as we celebrate his legacy, that it reminds us of the truths and the values that we as Christians stand for and, and believe in. Amen? Amen. Amen and amen. I love you. God bless you. Happy New Year. Happy Dr. King Day. And have a great time in church. God bless.